Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My guest today is Lee Houghton. Lee is a business improvement coach who prides himself on helping people and teams make today better than yesterday. And a lot of people can say this about themselves, but what makes Lee a little bit different is his random journey to get where he is today, which included one pivotal moment where he lost his best mate, Chris, after his brave cancer battle that changed Lee's life forever. Well, before we talk about that, Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, Patrick. Thank you so much for the invite today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, so, Lee, before we we kind of dive into your background a little bit, uh, tell tell our audience where you're where you're calling in from. Yeah, so it might be a little bit difficult because I, I believe I don't have an accent. Um, so I am actually in the northwest of England uh, currently. Um, so a slightly different time zone to yourself. But yeah, England is where my accent is from. In between Manchester and Liverpool is where I call home. All right. Love it. And uh, for, for those that don't know, uh, Lee also has a podcast that's out there and does a lot of work on social media as well. So I l- always love reading your posts and, and just the conversation discussions that we have. So it's great to, to get together here and, and talk uh, as continuous improvement practitioners and professionals uh, about the topic of uh, creating an improvement culture. Um, but Chris, geez, I'll cut that out. Uh, but uh, Lee, can you tell me a little bit about your uh, your background specific to your best mate, Chris? Yeah, of course I can. So um, I guess if I just go back to um, growing up, really. So um, you, have you got a friend, Patrick, that that you might not have spent like a week with or a, a month with, but when you get back together, it's like you've never been apart. Um, do you oh, know? Yeah. Have you got any? Yeah, perfect, perfect. So I've got. Uh, so Chris was or is my my friend like that. Um, we grew up on the same street together. We went to different schools to get. We went to different schools, but um, there would be times in our life. I met him when I was one year old. I don't remember it very well. Um, mm. And but there were times in our life when we would um, drift apart, but then come back together. Drift apart and and come back together. And it would it would be like the, those those gaps never never existed. We'd just pick up where we left off and uh, like you said during the introduction the um the the pivotal moment in my life was 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 chris's passing on the 5th of july 20 2018 um he'd had three bouts of cancer and the third one was the one that got him and but the reason why this was so pivotal for me um is is yes because losing a best friend um but just the amount of reflection that it's caused me to do. I've been in the world of improvement for 18 years now, either as an internal or an external change consultant and coach. Um, And it was only really since losing Chris and Chris sharing with me his reflections on his life that really changed what I do and and how I do it. Um, Do you mind if I overshare just just briefly? Is that okay? No, please do. Please do. um, You got got me pulled in here. I want to know. (laughs) So, so when um, when I was the first person to see Chris, when the consultant told him that there was nothing else that medical science could do for him, I walked into the into the hospital room as the consultant left, mm-hmm. and um, and we were talking about, and he asked me a question: "Just, do, do you think I'll know when the time is is, and and when I'm going to go, and and stuff like that?" So we we had that was a level of conversation um, that we had, and and then 
it kind of dawned on him that that he was going to die. And his comfort level with death, um, he became more and more comfortable with it as, as time went on. But in that moment, he said to me, what, what do you want from me, Lee? He said, um, I'm going to extract my pension from my employer um, and I'll have a little bit of money. You've always wanted to be, uh, you've always wanted your own business. That let me let me play my part in in setting you up in business and give you a few thousand pounds to to do it. And I was like, no, no, Chris, I don't want any of your money um, because that's your boy's trust. What I, but what I would love is three lessons through your eyes because, mm-hmm. and I don't know why I asked for it in that moment. Um, but I recognise that his perspective on life had completely changed. He came around to my house one day um, be- before I'd asked him the question, and um, at the bottom of my road, there's a there's a junction, and a car cut him up at the junction, and he, he drove up to my house, and he said, "You never guess what happened." I said, "What?" I said, a-, "A car's cut me up." I said, "And what did you do?" Expect expecting an extravagant story of him following the car to the house or something, and 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 a bit of road rage. But he said, "I did nothing because." It didn't really matter, and that that stuck in my head because that wasn't like Chris. So Chris would be his high emotion, and he would react in the moment, uh, and he would he would have historically chased cars. But his perspective on life had changed, and that really resonated with me. So when he was told and he he offered me the money, I was like, no, I don't want that. But I would love you to think about three lessons when you reflect on your life about what's really important to share. Because he had he's still got two boys um, and and a close family that. That I wanted to share these lessons with, mm. and he was like, "Blooming Eckley, I wish you'd just ask for the money. That's far easier for me to give you." Um, right. uh, <laughs> I can thank, see that. <laughs> yeah, dead right, dead right. But thank, I'm so, so, so grateful for him to that he thought about these things, and he has his own story and reasons for why these things mattered. Um, and I'll really just quickly tell you what these three lessons are, but then how they have changed me as a person. Um, so I went back to see him in the hospital. And he said, I've got the first lesson for you. He said, uh, when him and his ex-partner were splitting up, he um, tried to be somebody that he thought she wanted him to be. He said it didn't make him happy, didn't make her happy, and they still ended up splitting up. So he said, no matter what, just always be yourself. So that was mm-hmm. the first lesson, always be yourself. A couple what of weeks great, passed. What a great lesson. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. And and there's so many depths to it as well, which is which is what I've really, really got to grips with over the last few years. And I'll go into that and, and what that means in change and leadership, surely. And a couple of weeks after that passed, and I went to see him at his house. And he says, Lee, I've got the second lesson for you. He said, uh, he says, when you're not working, uh, you come and see me. And he said, uh, and one of our other friends rings him at 12 o'clock every single day when he's on his lunch hour at work. And he says, um, Second lesson is just make good friends because you never know when you're going to need them or when they're going to need you. And yeah. so that was his that was his second lesson. Um, and then literally um, three or four, four weeks before he passed, we went to watch the Foo Fighters in a concert. We, he was in a hospice at the time. We yeah. got permission from the hospice to um, – to, I, I, I always tell people that we broke him out of the hospice. It sounds far, far grander than it actually was, but they, <laughs> they knew. Um, so we broke him out of the hospice. We took him to the Manchester City Stadium, and, and eight of us watched the Foo Fighters in concert. Um, Chris, his ex-partner, and two boys – um in in one area and four of us in another area and on the way back from that chris asked um is it too late for him to go to anfield uh, sorry not uh, his youngest boy asked is it too late for him to if his dad to take him to anfield because we all support liverpool football club um so we arranged a private tour on the sunday and and on the sunday it was me and my boy and chris and his two boys we went to anfield for the most amazing day um we had a private tour of the stadium 
of the changing rooms. We had discounts in the shop. We all bought football kits. We had ice cream outside. And on the way back, Chris was sat next to me in the car. And uh, and I with so my boy and Chris's two boys uh, were sat behind us. And he looked over at me and he said, how many times could we have done this? I said, loads mm. of times. He said, well, why did we wait till the time that I had to be pushed around in a wheelchair? Why did we wait to the time when I couldn't stand up and sit in or and, and stand in this or sit in the same seats that you did the old stadium seats? He said, "Act now, because time's limited." Mm. And then fast forward from that moment to the fifth of July, twenty eighteen, I was called home because he'd taken a turn for the worst. I agreed to do the um, to spend the the night with him on on the fourth of July, um, like dabbing his lips through the night and and stuff. And at ten to eight in the morning, it was my time for to to go to like freshen up because my breakfast was due at ten at eight o'clock. And on leaving the bathroom, I looked over at Chris and his chest expanded. And that was it. He'd chosen that moment to take his final breath in, mm. in front of me. Um, I went, made a few phone calls. I went and sat outside and, and sat down on a bench. And it was those three lessons that were just ringing, ringing through my ears going, you're a fraud, Lee. You tell your kids every single morning they can be whatever they want to be and you're not being what you want to be. Mm. Um, and that's when I decided to... Um, to, to set up a business when I decided to do the podcast and when I've really decided to double down on, on Chris's three lessons, Chris had three valuable reasons why those three things were really important to him. And, and I wanted to understand and what I've spent over the last five years now, cause it's five years since he's passed. I've tried to understand what they mean to me, what they could mean to business leaders, what they can mean to, to change professionals as well. And I believe that Chris has actually, helped me see what's really important about change because um when we think about the three lessons and we overlay like a, a change or a leadership perspective then always be yourself um how many leaders wear different masks at work than they do at home how many people are sitting meetings and have got an idea to share and don't want to speak up because of the might the the, the, the trust isn't high enough and the, and the fear um, that people might laugh at them and things like that. So I think there's such an importance about creating safe environments where people can be themselves and are encouraged to be themselves. And then Chris's second lesson, making good friends. You can only be yourself if you actually take time to to get to know people properly on a human level. Um, and and Chris, Chris used it in the context of friendships, but I think every single opportunity we get to meet somebody, whether that's somebody at a checkout in a supermarket, somebody walking down the street, we've always got an opportunity to make a better relationship, a stronger connection, um, a, a better friend. Um, and, and I think leaders and their teams, I don't think we need to have like best friends, but I think we've got to know um, what makes people tick. We've got to know what people like, what people dislike, how people like to be rewarded. Um, some people like to stand on stage and receive a certificate, and some people just like a quiet thank you. Um, so I think and you can only do that if you've got an actual relationship with people. So that was make good friends. And then the third one, I think, is is probably what I see a lot of businesses lacking the most, actually, is acting now because time's limited. We procrastinate a lot. Um, we don't take action. We go to meetings, and the, the main action that comes out of a meeting is to agree another meeting. Um, mm. And And what could we do today to move forward a tiny little bit to make tomorrow or today better than better than yesterday because act now because time is limited so chris had the reasons for his reflections over 39 years of his life and and what i've tried to do really is understand what they mean to me 
in the in the like 18 years of improvement um and doing doing improvement and, and leadership coaching and mm -hmm. and how i can use those to keep chris's message alive really to keep living with my best mate here because and I think selfishly, that's the reason why I prefer to. I like to tell the stories because yeah. I don't. I, I don't want to grieve for him again. Do you know what I mean? He's helping me, and I'm keeping his message alive. But I think there's such such strength in in what he's saying. And I, I told the story, and um, I told the story four days. So on the on the first of July last year, I stood up at a networking event, um, and I told the story again to a to a group of business owners there. Um, and this was four days before his fourth anniversary. And a guy called Frank, who I'd never met before in my life, came up to me and he'd written, always be yourself, make good friends, and time is limited on um, on a notebook in front of him. He said, he said, I don't know whether there's anything in this, but I've circled the first the first word of each of those those things. And he, and he reads something. He says, always make time. And... Mm. And I don't know whether I'm joining dots and connecting stuff, but four days before Chris's fourth anniversary, I believe the fourth lesson um, Frank shared with me. And I think we've got to, as leaders, as change professionals, always make time to be ourselves, always make time to make friends and always make time to work on the important stuff because time is limited. And 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 that really is is a summary of the the last five years of, of my life since losing my friend but the impact that that chris in reflecting on his 39 years has had on me in my life wow now oh, that's the, what what an amazing uh powerful uh, legacy that uh chris has left uh and you know uh i mean the ripples of you know his life you know are are not just making an impact on your life lee but they're you know, now th those ripples are carrying on and, and having an impact on so many leaders. You know, when he when he uh, offered you that financial support, um, I mean, you know, maybe that would have helped your business for, you know, to get things off the ground. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, who knows what that would have done. But what what he gave you was like a, this this, you know, never ending support of your organization now by you know that that ripple that legacy that he left that you can now you know use for leaders what i mean how amazing is that oh unbelievable yes yeah. so, i mean I, I get knowledge i do i've got a business partner called jason but i genuinely believe that chris is my silent business partner mm. but just because of the the support and 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 the focus that his words have have provided me um yeah the, there's no money could have provided the uh, uh, provided the impact that he has um, right. on, on on my life mm, powerful powerful well hopefully uh throughout the rest of our discussion today we can kind of weave that in uh you know which i think probably will happen you know no, no matter uh, what anyways yep. as we start to talk about creating an improvement culture i think you've already laid the the foundation uh of that uh, uh but let's let's kind of dive into that now you know again not necessarily transitioning off of Chris, but uh, keeping him with us through this conversation, uh, when it comes to creating a, an improvement culture, I mean, what are the important things uh, that, you know, that maybe, again, tie into those three lessons, but, you know, what would you say, what are the important things and maybe even what's the most important thing if you could pick one, one thing? Yeah. Okay. No, perfect. No, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. I think, I, th I think the most important thing is belief. Um, 
that word uh it's it's not very many letters and it means different things to different people um but i think we have to start from a place of belief if people believe that that change can happen if people believe that they want change to happen um there's a, there's that the saying isn't it that uh, people fear people don't fear change they fear being changed and mm. and and i think you can only people can only be changed or change their habits and behaviors if they believe in them uh, and if they don't then you're going to come up against resistance and i don't think enough enough is done on building belief in people both that they can change themselves but also the business the leaders are committed to those changes as well as, as human beings we are amazing amazing people and and we've got such a capacity to to um to change um but not everybody sees that that or not everybody believes we can change i'm a big um a big advocate that that nobody goes to work to do a bad job um we just you don't necessarily, yeah we don't we just don't necessarily help them do a good job um and and i think the reason why we don't help them do a good job is because they don't believe and we don't believe we don't, we might not believe that they can do a good job but we don't create the space and the environment for them to do a good job and I, so i think i would absolutely start with belief and mm. if you can build the belief in people then then anything is possible anything is, is possible and a lot of change starts with the uh, the leaders agreeing that actually we need to move this metric or move this dial by by this percentage um and and the people who do the work might not believe that that's possible so why don't you ask them what is possible first and then move it just a little bit and then go oh, that was possible and 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 build the belief over time um rather than starting from a place where no because people's guards are up straight away so really long and a number of words to answer your question but belief i believe is the most important thing um in driving an improvement culture so in, in thank you for that uh in, in very good explanation um and what would you say to maybe a leader who's listening in who you know maybe they did uh come to their maybe they came to the, the organization that they're at right now and maybe they had you know just a, a great outlook they were excited they were energized they believed they could do it and you know maybe over time that that organization for whatever reason uh beat them down to the point where now they're they're frustrated they're upset they they maybe they don't believe it anymore um or that would be one scenario or you know, leaders coming into an organization, maybe they're, they're brand new there, or maybe they've been there for a while, but they just don't believe it. And, and what would you say are the, the steps? Like what, what could they do to get there, uh, you know, without leaving the organization and going somewhere else? How do they generate that level of belief in for themselves personally? Because I think they have to have that first before they can try to get others to, to believe, right. They need to be, Absolutely. you know, number one with themselves. So where would you say they should start? Um, I would, I would probably um, say something along, along the lines of: if I was to hold your hand, Patrick, and then we were to walk into this location in twelve months' time, um, what would we see different? What would we um, hear different? And how would we feel different? And and by asking that, the see, the hear, and the feel, we're talking about the environment, we're talking about the emotion, uh, and we're talking about the words 
that are being used. And I, I would want to, so I call it, I call it forward framing because I think if you can put people in a place where they can visualize how it could look different, the, how the conversations would sound different and, and how it would feel different internally, that's a starting point. Um, and I've done some workshops where I've actually printed a certificate off, which has been forward dated 12 months and, and awarded them like an operational excellence certificate. Well done. You've achieved operational excellence. It's now um, August 2024 and, uh, and, and got the leader to stand up and accept the certificate. And then we've gone. Then we've got loads of flip charts around the walls and, and stuff and just done that exact same thing. Gone, OK, what would we see or what do we see? What do we hear? And how do we feel? And then go, right, okay, I just want us to recognize the great efforts that we've put in over the last 12 months. What what are the key activities that we've delivered over the last 12 months? And then they go, oh, yeah, we had this, we, we communicated every single week. We introduced a new meeting structure, tiered meeting structure, or all, whatever, whatever the actions were that they did. Because you're getting people then to, to believe that it is possible. Um, and I would make it a manageable um, time frame as well. Because if you go, um, we're now in the year 2040. What do you see here? And feel? It's too far away into the future. Um, but if you just do it in, in 12 months' time, it's a manageable. And they know a lot of the programs and projects that they might have coming up and how technology is going to change and influence and, and the roadmap that they're doing. So that's what I would do. I would start by getting them to paint a picture of the future and mm -hmm. then they're defining how big of a stride they think they can take in those 12 months. And you might be able to achieve more, more than that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I would do first and foremost, just try to take them to a place where they're seeing it, where they can hear it and where they can feel it and then work back from that. And then that's, that's their plan of activity. That's their words. And then they're all, they're, they're starting it from that point. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of uh, you, you hit on this a little bit uh, earlier. You were talking about uh, you, uh, taking small steps towards something more, kind of down that cut that Toyota Kata uh, mindset or, or Kata improvement kind of mindset. Uh, but, uh, you know, for someone that is in that position, uh, I think, you know, trying to accomplish everything at once is going to be super overwhelming. Right. So you know, thinking about it, like, how do you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Like, how do we break this down and go after, you know, one piece at a time? And then to your point, celebrate uh, the small things as you go. And that should generate a level of confidence, you know, and, in in and build that belief that we can do this if we're moving along, you know, one step at a time. Right. Yeah. Agree. Agree completely. I'm, I'm not the most athletic of, of people. And, um, Next year, I want to do a little bit more charity work, and 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 some of the things that I've signed up to require uh, me to have a certain level of fitness that I currently don't have. So yesterday, I decided to put some running shoes on for the very first time. The last time I went for a run was after the ice cream van um, for the kids. That's the last time I went for a run. Anyway, um, <laughs> I decided to put some running shoes on yesterday for the very first time, and um, and I wanted to run about three kilometers. It was in total. Um, and I set off, and I was thinking about the end destination right right from the off, and it, it felt really, really far. Um, and then what happened, something happened in my mind, and I just started focusing on the different like different landmarks, um, so like the, a couple of lampposts just a little yeah. bit further ahead. And when I got to that, I could just see a little bit further, and then I would start running again. And that did something to me that I can't, I can't explain it, but every single goal I set was achievable. Can I run from here? 
to the 20 yards? Yes, I can. Can I run from here another 20 yards? Yes, I can. And then actually, I managed to I managed to make do the, the full 3K, but at the start, I didn't think it was possible because I was thinking about the end and it was too, too far away. So I think it's so important to just uh, small steps and, and make something manageable. And then you build the momentum as you go. That's right. Yeah, powerful. And and that's and, and that belief will build that you can accomplish it. Uh, and then now you're ready to, you know, to start instilling that same belief in your team members in the same way. You know, Absolutely. you prove it out yourself with some some things and then, you know, move on to the team. Uh, great, yep. great advice for sure. Um, Lee, how do we measure this? Like uh, or, or, you know, I just think about, you know, my advice always is is to make sure that you're you have some level of measurement in place, uh, you know, because otherwise, do you, how do you really know if you're getting any better? Um, you know, are, are there are there specific things that we should be measuring when it comes to uh, belief? Uh, that's my first question. But then also, like just in general, you know, are there are there measures, important measures that maybe companies uh, are, are using today or maybe some that they're not using that they should be using? Um, you know, how do we how do we define success for this? Yeah, we love we love a measure, don't we? We love um, to, to know whether we're on the right path, whether the dial is moving and that all of our activities and actions are going to help us achieve our goal. And I, I think there's loads of traditional measures. There's loads of, of, of measures out there that, that organizations and businesses are uh, having conversations about every, every single day. And, and I guess I'd, I don't want to pick or share any of those because I think those are those are dependent upon the business. We could pick a quality, cost, delivery, all all of those things. I I believe though, there are two measures that are not measured in any organisation yet, and I might be proven wrong. Um, I mean, I mean, you've got quite a following, Patrick. So if uh, if anybody um, knows of any organisation measuring these two things, then I'm sure your audience will share and, and let me know. Oh, okay. Yeah, here's um, here's a challenge to everyone to yeah, so listen yeah. up. Uh, so let's know. The, the, the two most important measures that I believe that no organization measures are first, the number of ideas and thoughts in people's minds. And then the lead time between the thought in somebody's mind and an action taking place. And Ooh, I like that. Because uh, that's that's what we're here to do. Fundamentally, as leaders whether it's of leaders of change or leaders of people, we're there to help our people think more or extra, uh, more ideas, more thought about, about the important stuff. So how can we gain confidence and clarity that our leadership are increasing the number of thoughts in our people, measure number one? And then measure number two, the lead time from people having those thoughts to conversations happening and action taking place. And I think if we can truly show positive movement on those two things, then that is a continuous improvement um, environment because our people are thinking more so that they are, the, and as long, if as long as they're thinking the right things and in, in line with the direction we're trying to go, then we're going to yeah. get more ideas. Um, and then if you can then understand the lead time between a thought happening or you can reduce the time from a thought happening to a conversation happening, from a conversation happening to an action happening, then every single day we're going to be in that that rhythm where our people are going to be valued for their thoughts and their mind, not just their hands. Mm -hmm. um, 
I talk a lot about um, how engaged are our people. And when I, when I think about engagement, I think about engaged heads, engaged hands, and engaged hearts. And mm -hmm. a lot of organizations really engage the hands of their people um, in valuable work or in work. We'll just, we'll just say work. Uh, engage the hands of their people in the work. It's, it's doing whatever that is they're doing. A lot of organizations try to engage the hearts of the people because they'll create a vision um, they'll create a direction, a strategy, they'll have an engagement strategy where they want people to buy in and love the reason why they're coming to work every day. But I think the biggest engagement gap is the head, the thoughts mm. of the people. And do we have leaders that engage the minds of their people? So, yeah, when I talk engagement, engage heads, hands and hearts. Um, but I think if we can engage the heads better, then we have more thoughts and then reduce the time from thought to conversation to action. And uh, it's it's as easy as that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy. Uh, now, I love I love everything that you said. There were a couple things that you said that I want to key in on. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, I do I I know there are organizations that measure you know number of suggestions imp number of suggestions uh, received or number of suggestions implemented. Right? I think that's a normal thing that everybody probably could say. Yeah, I've heard of places yep. doing that. Uh, but I like that you didn't say suggestions or implemented suggestions. You said thoughts. And I want to key in on that because that's the hard part is getting individuals to not 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 just write down their suggestions, but to, to somehow uh, capture the thoughts that they have about, you know, struggles and, and solutions, potential solutions or removal of these things that are causing headaches for me or whatever it might be. And then I love that you you mentioned the, the time from that thought. Uh, you, you know, being discussed to the point where it's actually there's action taken. Maybe it's not implemented, but something, some kind of action is taken. Whether I get feedback from my leaders on that particular uh, idea or thought, um, or you know, we're actually doing something. It's assigned to somebody, or there's action being taken on it to to move it forward. Um, I love that measure. I've I've never heard that before. So I, so thank you for that. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to key in on is um, you mentioned that the the thoughts should be aligned to to some uh some long-term goal or something right we call you know sometimes you hear true north right yeah the, the problem i see a lot of organizations have is they they just say yeah give me give me ideas give me suggestions give me just whatever it is and let's just start working on things and it's like this what we would call in the u.s the shotgun approach where you just start trying a whole bunch of things, whether or not they're moving you closer to your long-term goals or not. And that can be a significant problem for organizations because it can create, you know, waste in, in us spending time doing things that we shouldn't do. Now, is there a level of, here's the question that I have for you. Is there a level of, uh, do we allow that for a time to generate excitement, to generate, you know, if you're, if you're in an organization where maybe ideas haven't been accepted or encouraged you know do you allow ideas to just be thought out and and just work to be done on them or do they always have to be in alignment with that long-term goal in order for us to actually spend time on them that's a great question oh, question uh, come across uh right yeah great great question that patrick because and, and my mind has gone in two separate directions with this question because i think the the my logical brain is saying to me is saying that, that what we want to do is we want to maximize the number of thoughts that we get 
towards the direction and then we're going to get there a lot quicker but we right. are human we are human beings and and what we've got to do is create an environment where people feel safe to speak out and yes. and, and and in fact so when i do a workshop um i will encourage everybody to like just real real quick icebreaker like what's your name and um tell me one thing that nobody knows about you, or something like that right and i'm not overly bothered about the name and the thing that they've not done what i'm trying to do though is get everybody comfortable speaking out in front of everybody else that's the first bit of friction that i'm trying to overcome in that workshop and 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 that's where my that, that was the thought that i had when i when you asked me the question and and, yeah. and then you overlaid the complexity in, in terms of actually people aren't thinking stuff so I think what you might have to do is you might have to teach people how to have thoughts and then let them see how safe it is when they share those thoughts. Um, and so you might want to go the scattergun stuff to get people to just go, actually, it's not bad this. I'm being, I'm being rewarded um, for the effort of thinking and coming up with anything before you then narrow it down to the, to the, to the direction that we're trying to get to so so and that's why my mind went in two separate places the uh the obvious answer is to go just get people to think about where we're trying to get to but i think because we're dealing with people and because every person is different it's so important to get people feeling comfortable um and and that comes down to chris's second lesson about making good friends and yeah. also his first lesson about always being themselves and and always being yourself for me is getting people when they have thoughts getting them to share them um and your relationship as a leader with your people is key to getting them sharing their, their thoughts. Um, so, yeah, so I'm now going for a scattergun approach, making yeah. it safe and and just encouraging that first. And then over time, whatever that time be, narrowing it down to the direction that you're going. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and I agree with you. And I do think it goes back to uh, Chris's lesson number two. Um, cause it's also about knowing your people too, right? Because yeah. if, if you're in an organization where there is no fear of failure, there is, uh, you know, people have been bringing ideas up that things have been getting accomplished, then, you know, maybe you can skip some of that and you can go right to let's align this, you know, but, uh, if, if you know your people well enough to know that there is some fear of, you know, putting, putting myself out there or experimenting with some things because of past hurts or past issues, then as a leader, you need to realize that and, and meet your people where they are. Absolutely. Um, so I think that, you know, it's a great answer and there's no wrong answer, obviously, you and I know that. Um, but, uh, I think it is important that as leaders, we're, we're taking the time to think about that, that we're not just reading a book uh, and or listening to someone and going, okay, here's the three steps to you know creating an improvement culture. Number one, uh, solicit ideas and uh, put them in place and make sure they're in alignment with your long-term goals. Well, wait a minute. I think we have to, as leaders, we have to you know ask ourselves, is that really step number one, or could there be something different depending on where my people are at? Right. Yes, completely, completely. Yeah, so powerful. Love it. Um, you know, one of the other things that I think about when it comes to knowing your people, uh, you know, and, and making good friends, um, yeah. you know, I see I see some of your posts out there on LinkedIn and uh, and I know that you, you know, have a tendency to, to use comedy, you know, as as a way of, uh, you know, overcoming resistance to change or or, you know, again, just kind of lowering that that fear of of 
failure or the fear of stepping out or, you know, you use that a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about how those lessons, you know, how you've used the lessons of comedy to kind of help uh, overcome some of that resistance that organizations might feel when it comes to change? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It might not come across in this conversation, but I've been on two stand-up comedy courses. Um, And the reason why I wanted to learn how to be um, a little funnier um, is because I believe comedians take us on an emotional journey far faster than mm. any other profession that, that I've ever that I've, that I've ever witnessed. And I wanted to see whether actually there was something something secret in what they did, or whether it was just in just in the art of humour. And and I remember the very first um, the very first course, the uh, the the comedian tutor who was it was at the front. There were seven of us on the course, and he said, "What's the most important thing in comedy?" And we all hurled answers at him, and and basically we all said things like, "Well, the jokes." And he said, "No, that's um, that's the material. That's the third most important thing in comedy." And then he went, and the second most important thing is, well, there's uh, there's two lines in comedy. There's a setup and there's a punchline. And you can be really angry when you're doing your setup, and you can be really happy when you're doing your punchline because you signpost into the audience when they need to laugh, whether they find it funny or not. So it's a bit like visual management, but audible. Um, because you're signaling to the yeah. to the audience that something has changed. So he said the second most important thing in comedy is performance. And then he went, and the most important thing in comedy is, in fact, actually, who's your favorite comedian, Patrick? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Kevin Hart, uh, you know. <laughs> He's Perfect. So Perfect. So if, um, if, if we were to go to watch Kevin Hart, and so in, I live in a town called Chorley in, um, in, in Lancashire, and if we were to go to the Chorley Little Theatre to watch Kevin Hart, he would never play there. Um, and we, we both spent uh, $40 on a ticket for Kevin Hart. We both sat down in the auditorium in the theatre. He's about to come out onto stage now. What are you thinking just before he comes out onto stage? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Kevin Hart's just about to come out. Uh, I mean, I would say I, I'm probably excited, uh, excited to see what he's going to say. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how I'd be perfect. feeling. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Amazing. Amazing. Right. So just imagine the scene. Now we, we go out a second time, right? Me and you back to Charlie little theater, but to one of those comedy nights where you don't necessarily know the comedian. So we still, we've paid $40 each. We're sat in the same seats. You still, you sat with me. Um, yeah. so the, the same person and then the, the, the comedians that we don't really know about are about to come out. What are you feeling and thinking? Ooh, probably some unknowns, probably a little unsure. Uh, definitely a different level of excitement for sure. Yeah, perfect, right? And 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 that for me, or that for the, and that on the comedy course is that's the most important thing in comedy is the level of connection that mm. that a comedian has. So Kevin Hart, you know he's funny. You know he makes you laugh. Um, you know some of his material. You you love it when he does this, that, or the other, right? So your level of connection with that comedian is far stronger. So that's that's built such excitement in you, right? So the venue was the same, the price was the same. It was still me that you took, um, and 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 everything else was the same. The only difference was the level of connection that you have got with that comedian, and that's the most important thing in comedy. And when we think about change, when we think about leadership, and we overlay these three things, we think about the material, the tools, the techniques, the uh, our processes. That's the material. That's the third most important thing in change. It's the third most important thing in leadership. When we think about 
Um, the performance, we, we, we love a PowerPoint slide uh, and, and font, whatever, and all of that stuff. And we, we probably spend hours upon hours making sure that every single slide looks every, all the same and it's all the right stuff. Um, but do we actually vary our performance to the audience? Every person that's in the audience is different. Do we really um, um, it make sure that we uh, exaggerate the points that people need to hear or want to or, or tell you the, the key points? So our performance is the second most important thing in leadership and in change as well. Um, but the most mm. important thing is our level of connection. Do we spend time to build relationships with people? Um, in the UK at Christmas, we do nativity plays um, in in schools. Do, do have you have you been a star of a nativity play in the past, Patrick? Oh no, not necessarily, but I've definitely watched some. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Right. Okay, so a nativity play. Let's overlay these three things with a nativity play. Right. So okay. the nativity play, the material of a nativity play. So it's it's um it's really young children that are generally the stars in a nativity play. So the material is quite basic. The story is mm -hmm. the story is a little bit ropey, and it's very it's in a very abridged version of different of, of different activities. So the material is ropey at best. Then you think about the performance. You've got young children um, stood in the wrong places, singing the wrong words, saying the wrong things. Their outfits you can't tell whether the sheep or whether the clouds, um, <laughs> and uh, and and so the performance is uh, is dodgy. But then at the end of the at the end of the show. The, um, the the teacher stands up and uh, the encourages the uh, the little ones to do the little bow. When you turn around and you look at the audience, and there's rapturous rounds of applause, floods of tears, people high fiving and whooping, declaring that that was the best ever performance they have uh, they have ever seen. Absolute nonsense! It was not the best performance they have ever seen. It's just a level of connection that they have had with the little people that are on those benches at the front that outweighs the material and it outweighs the performance. And if you are a leader of people or change, if you spend time on the connection with people, make good friends, if you make good friends, um, first and foremost, then people will forget the performance. They will or, or they'll give you an opportunity about the material, give you an opportunity with the performance. That doesn't matter. Spend time building connection. Spend time making friends. Um, and that's really how, how I've used the lessons of comedy to, again, reaffirm chrissy's chrissy's lessons it just all comes back to the same thing um but that's why connection is key yeah love it love it what a great story too I, you 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 explained it perfectly lee thank you for that i, I love that um and and i i don't want to um I want to, uh, I might have to, we might have to come back on the show again, because we're, we're kind of at the end of our, our time right now. And I really want to talk more about your, uh, your organization, get knowledge and, uh, the, the model that you use, uh, the best model. Can you, before we close up, can you just tell us what that stands for? And then, uh, I'd love to hear just if anyone would like to reach out to you, how they connect with you, uh, if they can find, learn more about your organization, get knowledge, um, you know, can you let us know that? So what's, what's, uh, what's your model best, best model? Yep. What does it stand for? And then how do people connect with you? Yeah, perfect. So our best model is, um, is built upon the, the theory that 20 years ago, um, consultants would purely work on the T part of the best model, which is just targets, business targets and results. 
Then about 15 years ago, um, customer experience became a thing. Um, so the S is customer satisfaction. And people made the link between satisfaction and targets. And, and you satisfy your customers, you achieve your targets. Then yeah. um, probably about five to 10 years ago, employee experience became a thing and employee engagement. So that's the E part of it. And people join the dots between happy employees, satisfied customers, achieving your business targets. But we fundamentally believe that you should start with the B. Um, and that is the leadership behavior. Behavior is fundamental. If you get your leadership behaviors right, you get your employees engaged, you achieve your customer satisfaction, and then your business targets and results are, are a given pretty much. So that's what the best model is. Um, and, and so we start at the leadership behavior part, um, not at the target part. And then that's what that's why we get knowledge, um, work with the clients and the, and the businesses that we do. And that's that's our model that we use. Powerful. I love that. Love that. I, I really do want to talk more about that. Let's have you back Amazing. on the show uh, maybe a, a few months from now and let's dive into that model because that that's amazing. I love the I love everything that you just shared as far as the, you know, in and why the B is before the E and the, you know, and so on. Um, so, Lee, if anyone's interested to reach out to you, if they're looking for more information about the best model uh, or, you know, anything that you've talked about on the show today, where would be the best place for them to connect with you? Yeah, so the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. So it's just Lee Horton um, on LinkedIn. Uh, if email Lee at getknowledge.co.uk or um, our website is uh, www.getknowledge.co.uk. But honestly, Patrick, I have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat today. Absolutely. Now it's been great, Lee, and uh, we'll drop those links into the show notes. So if anyone's interested, they can go right to the show notes, um, grab grab your email or, or go to your website and, and learn more. Lee, it's been great to have you on a uh, powerful discussion. Uh, I feel like I've been on an emotional roller coaster through yeah. this, this conversation <laughs> and so, some really, really great things uh, that, that you shared with us and, and just uh, powerful learnings. Uh, so I'm excited to have you back on the show and talk some more. I'll look forward to it. Cheers, Patrick. All right, cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.